The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is that time again. Welcome back to another program of Afternoons with Mike. Heard every day on the Shepherd Radio Network. It's happy to be here with you. I have a repeat guest for our first segment this uh, this afternoon, and I'm really excited about it. Roseanne Forte is one that had, in her own words, difficulties with alcohol. She'll talk about that. Uh, but yet she never called herself an alcoholic. And there are reasons for that, too. So I'm just going to let that be enough of a tease. She is the author of a devotional called The Plans He Has for Me. Roseanne Forte from Phoenix, it's great to talk with you. Uh, Great to talk with you too, Mike. Great to be back. Well, it is uh, always great to talk to people who have stories of overcoming And that's exactly what you have done. And a lot of people who were in the boat that you were in, uh, they, they really are hopeless. They really feel helpless. And yet for a believer, we are never short of hope or help. And you have found that to be true in your life, haven't you? Amen. Amen. Uh, absolutely. I, uh, I was in a really, uh, deep and dark, place, um, just not believing there was anything left for me in life. I mean, really nothing left for me in life. But I did remember, um, I think I had a journal uh, with Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, <laughs> declares the Lord, plans to prosper, not ha- harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I was sitting there going, yeah, right. Um, but even though I said, yeah, right, I trusted him, and I tried to walk one foot in front of the other, and today I'm an, an author, coach, you know, changing lives, so yeah, I, God does have a plan, especially when we can move, remove a toxic substance from our life, which is prohibiting us from realizing those plans. A lot of people get into this destructive, as you said, the dark side of life where they are finding themselves retreating and maybe anesthetizing themselves with either uh, alcohol or drugs. What was it? Remind our listeners as to what it was in your life that led you down that path. Um, I was trying to balance, you know, like many people, uh, I just fell for you know, the lies of society, you know, we have commercials that say, you know, drink. Everything I did was like, have a beer, have a glass of wine, mommy culture. And I just got, I got caught up in it. Um, But ultimately, I started using it to manage stress of balancing a career, uh, a family and a difficult marriage. And, uh, you know, at first it works, (laughs) you know, you check out, you just don't want to deal with it, but then it catches up with you because that's not a good way to cope with the problems in life. And, um, yeah, so that's how I got, I got caught in it, just using it, you know, for romantic, when there's a romantic opportunity or there's a friend fun opportunity or you're in your house uh trying to cook dinner and manage everything you know sure used it used it for everything you're so right when you say that in the beginning it it kind of a lot of people feel that it feels that it helped and obviously if there weren't some immediate forms at least perceivable by them of uh, a reason that they chose to to do that Uh, But you're right. It is very short term. It's like the lies of the devil. He always comes and says, hey, this will work. And and there there might be just a little bit of work that it does. (laughs) But but soon after, like the Bible says, pleasure of sin is only for a season. And then you have to pay the piper, so to speak, with that. 
and it is not a sustainable situation. And you were in that realization that it was not sustainable. Now, a lot of people will find themselves, maybe even some of people who are listening today are fighting the same battle that you fought when you came to that realization that this is not working. What what were your steps at that point? Because that may well be a very helpful bit of tip for someone who's finding themselves right there. Yeah, I think I like to describe it as people crossing this invisible line that they didn't know was there. And one day you can manage it. And then one day something happens. You're like, oh, my God, I got to really stop this or slow down. And then you try and slow down and you go, wait, it's too hard. And um, people spend a lot of time trying to, uh, you know, manage it on their own. And one of the reasons, I mean, this, this deals with the title of what we're talking about, is because of the stigma that's present. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, for me, I wasn't going to get help because I'm like, nope, not an alcoholic. Uh-uh. And a lot of people hide in shame. Um, because of this stigma, which is what I'm really trying to change. I, um, you know, we're all, we all get involved in habitual behaviors, even if it's checking our cell phone, right? <laughs> and um, Oh, I don't know, you know anybody that ever does that. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the process of changing these behavioral patterns and habits. I mean, first we got to deal with the fact that we're using an addictive substance, but the reality is our body can heal from that fairly quickly, two weeks to a month. But what you're left with is this um, reframing, renewing our mind, uh, creating new neurological pathways to just develop different patterns and different thought processes in our life. And And, uh, you know, I'm trying to get people excited about doing that as opposed to labeling them for something. Um, I just think people spend a lot of time in secret and in pain hiding this. And it's just like, I'd rather people just go, you know what, this whole drinking thing, that's not really serving me. I'd like to try a different way of life. So I have this 12-week challenge that says, hey, what's possible with God when you walk with God and put this to the side? And so it's a much more kind of exciting approach to see what life can be like without it. I am sure that's the goal of just everyone like this. They need to find out what life could be like without it. And yet, for whatever reason, they feel hooked in that moment. And I think that this is part of the reason why the people at programs like AA, who I know they've done so many really great things, and a lot of people really have been benefited by them. But why is it, do you think, that they choose to direct their uh, people in their programs to say when they stand up in these group meetings, give my name and I'm an alcoholic. What, what do you think their rationale is for doing that? Yeah, I I have, I go to a large church and one of the um, uh, kind of the second pastor in charge uh, calls himself an alcoholic and he very proudly does that. And I asked him this question, like, do you think that's biblical? And he says, you know, I have no problem with it because it reminds me of my shortcomings. And, um, you know, for them, it's a reminder. uh, And it, it works at reminding them that they're limited in this. But when AA was formed, We thought it was a disease of the brain um, that you were going to be stuck with for the rest of your life. And science later today says, no, you can change neurological pathways. You know, you can, you can, um, you can solve this with changing and rewiring your brain. That wasn't known when AA and 12 step was was started. And I just love it that, you know, God told us all along, we can renew our minds. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and so guess what? 
science is just catching up with God, with what God has told us all along. We can renew our minds. And, um, you know, my, my approach, like you said, the 12 step programs have saved so many lives, but there's also this massive amount of people that their problem is increasing in intensity and don't know where to go. And, and they want to avoid this stigma, which was me. That's I'm trying to address the people like me that were, you know, trying to negotiate this problem for years. I don't know, five, six, seven years, because like, uh-uh, not going to AA. And I don't say you got to do it forever. It's my, my program is called Choose Freedom, <laughs> because um, once you you've gotten over the addictive substance and your body's normalized, then we have to renew our minds. And then it's developing this awareness that God gives us a choice. And right now, I used to be addicted to cigarettes too, by the way, two to three packs a day. And I will tell you, chocolate cake is harder for me to say no to than alcohol or cigarettes, right? We're we're always... Who can't relate to that, right? I mean, mine, when I was a kid, it was Reese cups. And oh, I, 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 I like those. <laughs> it was my grandfather that is the guy that got me hooked on those things. Because every time he came over, he had, guess what, a Reese cup in his pocket for me. Yeah, I know. I know. And, uh, and it is sugar is an addictive substance, too. Processed sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, and, and so God gives us a choice to follow him, not follow him, to sin, not sin, and to choose a, a substance to check out or to walk with him, um, being sober-minded, because there's a verse in First Peter, I think it's 5, 8, that says, be sober-minded, because mm-hmm. the enemy walks around like roaring lions, looking for somebody to devour, and I will tell you that anybody listening who's ever engaged in alcohol or another um, substance, when you partake of that, you are not sober-minded. And you make these choices while under the influence that are not in line with God. So this scripture is just beautiful for what is happening as we turn away from God and we choose not to be sober-minded, and then we participate in things that we're ashamed of later. You know, you're a way of describing what happened to you and what you believe can happen to anyone who is abusing alcohol or cigarettes or any other type of substance like that. Uh, Your method for getting past that sounds very similar to what uh, therapists have done with people who've gone through strokes where uh, some of the neuron connections were broken because of a stroke. And they will walk them through uh, repetitive exercise, uh, a lot of rhythmic writing, things like that, that actually work their brain in a different way. And the body heals itself by creating these new neuron passageways. And that sounds very similar to what you're talking about, right? It's just, yeah, it's just fascinating. The science of the brain is what kind of got me onto this um, this path because as I was going through my 90-day challenge in a secular program, I was understanding the science of the brain. So I took the focus off of me and uh, me being the problem, and I put it on the substance. Right. What, what's going on here with my brain? And by the way, I can change something and it empowers you now instead of being the victim to the word mm-hmm. alcoholic, you understand that you can be empowered to change how your brain processes information. And a lot of what we're doing is is we're. Uh, or I like to say solving for cognitive dissonance. And that's a term I think that's used in the uh, medical community for, you know, 
believing two competing and separate thoughts about the same thing. And so you're like, I love this substance. I need this substance. I can't have fun without it. What will life, life look at like? It's going to be boring versus I need to quit. I have to quit. This is killing me. I can't do this anymore, right? Which one is true? You believe both when you're addicted. And so we're trying to solve for truth. And as when you walk with God and you see his words, truth, and you see the truth of the patterns of how much better your life is and how much better you can process problems and how much more efficient you can be and how much more healthy you can be. I mean, what's truth? And and that's what we get to choose from. But it takes, that's why I call it a 12-week challenge. It takes a while to, you know, develop those new pathways. But relative to our entire life, it's a very short time. You know, that's really true. And a 12-week period as intense, it could just be like an intensive uh, physical therapy time where at the beginning of that time, a person couldn't walk, but at the end of that time, they had regained their ability of balance and they were able to walk and carry on life just like they wanted to be able to do. At the beginning of the 12 week period, they couldn't do it. At the end of it, they could. And what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing (laughs) you say is that this is altogether possible, and I really do truly love the fact that you're inviting people to believe God for His Word at His Word, and His Word was that we have the ability to be a new creation, a, a new creature, and so the old has passed away, and that's what you found, and you're now able to make a cognitive decision that you just like this way of living better than the old way. Amen. I just um, you know, before I, I was a Christian and I walked with God, but I was choosing which of his admonitions were applicable to me. Yeah, no, not that one, God. Or yeah, that one, God. And and now I recognize, and that's the, the approach of the devotional, to spend 84 straight days with God, to recognize the wisdom in scripture and the result is this deeper connection with him this relying on him this trusting of him and knowing his word is true and it was meant to protect us not to give us a bunch of rules it was meant for us to live our best life with peace and joy and um, anticipation of what could be next what he could use Uh, in us, our gifts for the kingdom. That is so beautiful. Now, you've written this book, a booklet. It's a devotional, and it it really is something that seems like it's full of hope. How can people get a hold of that? Yeah, on the website, www.theplansyhasforme.com, gives you three access to three uh, separate areas, whether it's christianbooks.com, Barnes & Noble, or Amazon. It's available. Um, in all three sources. Well, that's wonderful. Roseanne Forte, thank you for being back with me again today. And we look forward to having you back on in the future. And God bless you for all the good work you're giving people hope. And that is so important. Thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me again. It was a pleasure. All right, and we'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. If you're a Christian business person and you want to meet people who want to do business with you, you need to join the Central Florida Christian Chamber of Commerce. Why? Because the mission of the Christian Chamber is to build kingdom, business, and community. And it all starts with the Christian principle of building relationships. To learn more about the Christian Chamber and all the different ways you can get engaged with hundreds of other Central Florida Christian business people, visit CF Christian Chamber. Or call 407-258-3578. Back on the line with me right now is a guy that I've had on a number of times. I actually got to meet him face-to-face at the NRB in Dallas. So it's been about three or four years ago. And uh, my goodness, it's great to have Robert Borelli back on the line today. Welcome back, my friend. Well, thank you, Mike, for allowing me to be back on your show. We've 
do admire all that you're doing for the kingdom of God also. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And Robert, your background is really one of the more unique stories. I mean, the book you wrote, which I still have on my bookshelf. For our listeners who may be tuning in to you for the first time today, why don't you tell them exactly what kind of uh, trouble you found yourself in and why you found yourself there? And in my neighborhood is a pretty tough neighborhood. As I got a little bit older, you know, hanging around with some of the wise guys that kind of took control of the neighborhood, protected the neighborhood. And when I got a little bit older, I realized or got to know that uh, my neighborhood has been run by the Gambino crime family for, for a lot of years before I was even existed. So I grew up in that kind of lifestyle, you know, the lifestyle that my mom and dad, they were legitimate people. You know, they... Uh, had a hard time making ends meet, and I didn't want to be like them. And, you know, I seen these wise guys. They seemed to get all the attention, had money, and I gravitated toward that lifestyle. So uh, it's a lifestyle I got involved with and started working with them, doing things for them. And, you know, the more they trusted me, the more things they gave me to do. And I would just say this here, my, and I don't like to use the terminology, but I don't even know how, how else to say this. But my kind of way of getting recognized in that lifestyle was my first case uh, of being arrested for two murders in possession of a weapon and uh, going on trial on one of them and then being acquitted of it. And that gave me a lot of recognition of keeping my mouth shut, doing the right thing. And uh, that kind of uh, got a lot of attention to a lot of the mob bosses and stuff like that. So uh, they kind of took a liking to me. And that's the lifestyle that I lived for quite a while. So if anybody's seen the movie Goodfellas, that's kind of like – a different family, but that's the lifestyle that I lived, the same lifestyle that those people, everything that they did in that movie, the things that I had done in my past. Then I got involved with the drug business, and then the drug business got involved with my business, and I became addicted to cocaine. And then before you know it, I started losing everything. And then the cheaper high was freebasing, then even cheaper than that was crack cocaine. And uh, found myself in 1996 living in the streets that I once strutted uh uh, addicted to crack cocaine and actually didn't have a place to even live. Now, you know, you said crack cocaine was like the drug of choice back then in the 90s. And today we know kids are taking these hits on fentanyl and dying. So it is a, it's a lot different in this day and age right now to what you did. But the thing that's not different, the greed, uh, the the gangs... All of that might uh, might uh, be different today, but you fought all of that back then, right? Well, yes. I mean, it's different in concept, but basically, really the same. If you if you really look deeper into it, because it's just you know that's just the life that it is. The difference between I think my days, my days is we we smoke crack cocaine. And, of course, somebody else cooked it up. But today, I think a lot of the kids that are getting this fentanyl don't even know they're getting fentanyl. That's right. So it's, you know, so it's a little bit of a difference in that concept. So I don't even call it really addictions, but people who are thinking they're getting like a pill or something of one thing and they're lacing it with fentanyl, I would consider that more murder than anything else. Because you're giving somebody something that they don't even know they're taking. Yeah. That can eventually kill them. And a lot of these kids really quickly die because of it. It's like one hit. And and as soon as it hits their system, they're gone. But you went through not only that drug addiction, but you had mentioned earlier, two murder raps. And, you know, I think when most of our listeners hear that story, Robert, or maybe read your book, which is called The Witness, uh, I think that what they are amazed at is that you were able uh, for whatever reason, to have those charges laid against you, and yet here you are today, a free man out, and I, I know that it's not like you didn't spend any time in the pen at all, because that's where you found the Lord. But it is really amazing that God delivered you from what would have otherwise seemed like it should have been a life sentence. Well, not only a life sentence, but also a death sentence. That's the type of lifestyle that I live. They used to call me a loose cannon. Uh, I uh, I was just a run-around loose guy. Uh, didn't have any um, fear of anything or anybody. I probably would have never lasted any. I probably would end up getting killed later on if I lived that lifestyle with the mob. But since the addiction came in, that brought me away from the mob and then 
crack cocaine became my whole life. And then so many overdoses of that there, but God still got me through. So I believe, and I can look back now and see God's hand was upon my life, even though I didn't know whose hand it was at that point in time. That's how I look at my life when I um, when I look back at it. Uh, somebody had to be protecting me because I wasn't really trying to protect myself in a lot of areas of my life. Yeah, it's, I just love this line that's in your bio. It says, out of the mafia into grace. And how great it is that you might have been uh, in the depths of uh, that gang and mafia and drug lifestyle but God delivered you all out of that by his marvelous grace into a life now to where you're sharing your testimony and seeing people really set free from the maybe the direction that you had gone. And maybe they won't ever have to go as far as what you did in that lifestyle. Well, you know, that's kind of what my message is. It's the message with how God could rescue, redeem, and restore someone. But the other part of that message is it's never too late for a new beginning, and God gave me a new beginning in life. He used the federal government to do it through my natural life, give me a new name, a new identity, a new new life whatsoever, living as Robert Borelli, because that wasn't my, my birth name. And God did the same thing in my spiritual life. He erased all my past and gave me a fresh start, a new beginning with him. And uh, that's the story I like to tell. So I like to tell even the younger kids, when I get a chance to speak to the younger kids, you don't have to go through what I went through to get to where I am. I could give them a shortcut. That's right. It's God's grace. I love it. A shortcut, and that shortcut is God's grace. Now, one thing we haven't talked about in detail about your deliverance, uh, that would be the process of getting past all the drugs and the addiction to those drugs. And that in itself is oftentimes a big story in a person's life. What happened in your case? Well, you know, I was I got locked up in in Rikers Island, you know. Yeah, just to give you an, uh, the, your audience an idea, from 1975 all the way, well, actually 1973 to 1997 or 1999, actually, when I got released from prison, I was either running from the Lord, looking, you know, the Lord looking for me, incarcerated in one form or another for all those years, being in and out of prisons and lockups and um, and wanted. So it's been a long past of uh, a long time. Uh, that I was running around with all that kind of that that kind of lifestyle, but the point is, is that how I got when something happened in Rikers Island that my daughter was well, I wasn't allowed to see my daughter when I was on the streets because that's how bad I was on drugs, and the mother didn't want her mother didn't want me to see her daughter to be around around me, and I understood that to an extent anyway. And when I was in Rikers Island, they would let, let me talk to my daughter. And my daughter said, uh, she was crying at one, one of these conversations we were having when I was on the phone with her. And she said, uh, I said, why are you crying? She said, because she won't come and see me. And those words just tore my heart apart because I knew I was facing probably at least 20 years in prison. Um, and the fact is, is so many times I was in the neighborhood, but I, I picked drugs over my own daughter. Uh, yeah. And that just shattered my heart. So that's when I ran back to my cell and I cried out to God, if you really need to have somebody kill me or change me, I can't live like this anymore. And I didn't want to live like that anymore. I, I figured that was was a, a better answer for me, a better relief than, than trying to fight all the things I was fighting. And just God's grace, I believe at that point in time, God heard the honesty and the sincerity and the cry of my heart. And I would just keep on saying, God, please help me. God, please help me. God, please help me. And I truly believe at that point in time, God reached down with his mighty right hand and delivered me from all that. Yeah, because I never picked up a drink or a drug in, uh, since that time. What kind of help did you get when you were in prison when all that change happened? I didn't get a lot of help. Uh, there's somebody a while back had told me to read the Bible. I was asking for commissary money and money for an attorney. You know, that's how I kind of lived when I was incarcerated. A lot of times I needed finances to get through the sentence that I was going to be facing. And the one person said, well, why don't you go read the Bible? And I said, it's a brush off. But when I cried out to God, I remember those words. And I went and got my Bible and I started reading my Bible. And then I had other books that I used to like to read, like Robert Ludlum books and stuff like that, espionage. I was into that stuff. But there was something inside of me that was compelling me to let go of those books and read more of the Bible. So for me, it was basically me and God alone through mm. his word. 
and the renewing of my mind through his word and the transformation that God has placed in my life by his mercy and grace in my life. We hear the word all the time about the Bible. It is God's word, and that makes it different than anything else. It is living, the living word of God, merely by reading it alone in your cell. God changed you inside out. Yes. You know, I say two things I try to tell people. When we pray, we're talking to God. When we're reading God's Word, He's talking to us. Oh, that's great. Now what I do is I pray and talk to God, and then I read God's Word. So I'm talking to Him, and I'm asking Him to reveal Himself to me in a more clear way that I can live by it, and then I start reading God's Word, and it's just a revelation that comes into my life. So That's tremendous. When you look back on those... Uh, those days when God did all this brand new work in your heart, uh, who who were who would be among the group of people that you talked to about the the new direction that God had left you? Do you remember who that would have been? It wasn't any particular person, but one would be my mom. My mom was was because I was in the witness protection program, so I was in a separate jail uh, prison from every from the population and. Because of the secrecy, there's only certain people you would be able to call. Only if they allowed, they let the government know that they would take your call. So my mom was one of them, and my mom, I, was, I would talk to my mom and, and, and do a lot of talking with my mom and this other girl called Lisa Cammy. She was another one that would answer my phone calls, and we would just pray together. But my mom was probably um, – my mom was diagnosed with uh, stage four lung cancer at the time that I was still in prison, and uh, and me and my mom just had a great connection, and uh, that that would be one of the people that I got to talk a lot to because I wanted to, to spend eternity with my mom, so I wanted to make sure that she was saved also. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was kind of things. But you know, it's just that the movement of God in my life. When I cried out, "God, please help me! God, please help me!" He was doing things in my in my own sense I would never want to happen. But he would move me from one place to another place. Which, when you're in prison, it's very you don't really want to get moved around a lot because you're just making friends and now you have to make new friends and stuff like that. But every place he was bringing me, I was getting more of God's word. Wow. It's just amazing what God did throughout my 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 last two years in prison. Uh, God was just bringing me into places where I was getting more of Him, more Bible studies, more people coming and speaking to me. It, it's just an amazing. So I, I mean, I think of my years in prison, and and I have to tell you, uh, when I look back at it, it was probably the the best time of my life when me and God alone was just communicating on a daily basis every day. Yeah. I had a lot of time to spend with him. You know, you've gone from that now that you travel around the world telling your story. And I know that that has to be just still to you a great source of amazement that this transformation has happened to you. It is. When I look back, I can't help cry over what God has done in my life. Oh, yeah. I really can't. When I look back at where I was to where I am today, it, 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 I can't even explain it. it. It's just such an overwhelming joy in my life and, and so appreciated of, of what God has done in my life to take me from, I would say, the pits of hell or, or, or maybe a phrase we could use, existing in life but not really living. Uh, I, 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 you know, I think about it. That's why I love to share my testimony so much because you could argue with me about theology, but you cannot argue with me what Christ has done in my life because I know who did it. I know who did it. It's a beautiful thing, and it's a true thing that no one can ever take that away from you. And just the telling of your story causes amazement and faith, and maybe, and we never know how God's going to use what we share that came from a bad set of circumstances that led you in prison, but in the middle of the prison, you found a relationship with Jesus. That can't be taken away from you, my friend. No, it's the most important relationship I ever had and continue to have is my relationship with him above all else. He becomes, he became first in my life. You know, the Bible says those who forgive much, love much. And I know to my past, I was forgiven a lot, but I'm not saying that, I was forgiven more than anybody else. Anybody else that didn't have a relationship with Christ was going to the same place I was going, even though it might have been a lot worse than them. So we're all saved from the same thing, the wrath of God. But uh, I, I'm just, 
I love to share the message of hope that, listen, no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you think you're stuck in or, or, or bound to, it's never, never too late for a new beginning. And I share the fact that my new beginning started on my knees in that prison cell crying out to the only one who could deliver, save me, rescue me, and redeem me. That's right. And his, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is still in the delivering business. That's the good yeah. news. Amen to that, man. Yes, he yeah. is. So what's new uh, in your calendar for this next year? What's, what is uh, 2024 looking like? Well, you know, last year we did a documentary. So if anybody wants to see the documentary, the 15-minute documentary on my life story, it's on my website, robertbarelli.com. Uh, so we put that out there. Uh, of course, you know about the book. That's also on my website. So if anybody's interested in knowing more about my story, they can get the book through my website for a donation. Uh, uh, and I would personally mail it and, and sign it for them so they can get the book through robertbarelli.com also through that, through my website. And we have a couple of speaking engagements. I will be going to the NRB for a couple of days this year also, so we'll be out there. All right. I'll be there too. Oh, good. Then I'll see you. Yeah. And yes. And we're going to, we're going to just try to launch a little bit more on social media. So we're working on a couple of things like that. And there's also a possibility. I won't say it's going to happen. I'm praying about it, but where somebody's interested in doing kind of a series episode on my life story. So, and put it out there on, on, um, I guess, streaming it or TV or something. So I'm not sure. So we're working on a lot of things right now. Uh, trying to get the money, uh, the ministry out there, and of course, whatever everything for ministry, we need finance. Well, anybody that's listening right now, if you make a donation on my website for a book, all that money goes into the ministry. Nobody takes anything from that that those donations, and it helps us to promote and do the things that we think. God is. I believe God is calling us. Like I can speak to certain groups of people, and I love doing that, and it's a great thing to do. But I believe the, country, the way our country is right now, we need to reach a lot more people. So we're trying to get out there more in, in depth. So I'm thinking maybe a podcast, TV series or something like that to reach millions of people instead of just maybe a couple of hundred, a couple of thousand. So, That's wonderful. But we're going to do both. We're working on both right now. I look forward to seeing you next week, my friend. All right, Mike. You be blessed. I appreciate your time that you give me on your, your show. And uh, continue to do the good work the Lord has placed in your care. Thank you, buddy. You're listening to Afternoons with Mike. The Shepherd Radio Network is thrilled to work with The Ramsey Show to bring our listeners an opportunity to win Ramsey SmartTax e-filing software and a copy of Dave's The Momentum Theorem. Our very own Mike Gillen will be hosting a meet-and-greet and prize collection on Wednesday, March 6th at Drivers Mart Winter Park from 2 to 6 p.m. Some of you may even join Mike on the air. To enter, go to theshepherdradio.com, click on Enter to Win, and fill out the form for your chance to win. We'll see you Wednesday, March 6th at Drivers Mart Winter Park from 2 to 6 p.m. On the line with me now for the second time on my show is Micah Van Huss. I had a chance to uh, ch- chat with him a couple of months back. Micah is an author. He is a speaker. Uh, he's also heard on the Southwest uh, radio program that we carry called Watchmen on the Wall. Micah, great to have you back again. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Now, I know one of the things that you've written on is the secret societies. How did they originate? What do they mean? We had a a chat about uh, all of these things uh, that we kind of all became exposed to in a great way. I think of that, uh, the movie that came out, National Treasure, and it really did open up a lot of people's eyes uh, to things that they see every day, like the ever-watching eye on the back of a dollar bill, that kind of a thing. But there are deep meanings to all of this stuff, and this is something that uh, you have given a lot of time to and studied to, uh, like the Bohemian Grove and why presidents of the United States are involved in that. And then, you know, I had a chat with Chad Davidson, and we were talking about the Super Bowl and how that uh, you can't even watch the Super Bowl anymore without being hit with all sorts of what appears to be demonic signs, symbols. Uh, th- this is an interesting day in which we live, man. 
It absolutely is. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit last time about uh, the origins of secret uh, societies, but, you know, it's going to culminate. Um, these secret societies, uh, the powers of the air, the, the fallen angels uh, who are in control, uh, they're trying to usher in a final battle against God, and that is the Battle of Armageddon. So the secret societies will ultimately be successful because they will get their battle with the Creator, um, but they're not going to win the battle. Um, they, uh, Since Hermeticism, since Hermes found the knowledge of the Watchers and shared it with Nimrod uh, right after the flood around the time of the Tower of Babel and the, the expansion of Babylon, um, Hermeticism uh, are the religions of enlightenment, the origin, uh, uh, religions uh, teaching mankind that mankind wants to ascend into godhood, that we will become gods ourselves. What did what did the serpent tell Eve in the garden? If she ate the fruit, she would become like God. That's right. So through yeah. knowledge, and of course she ate the fruit of the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, through the attainment of knowledge, uh, the secret societies have carried the knowledge of the watchers, uh, and they are telling us that we will become gods, but we cannot worship the oppressive God of the Bible. Uh, so they are trying to usher humankind into godhood, and they will uh, uh, force the battle with the Creator, and it'll be the Battle of Armageddon. So yeah, it's uh, is it coming to a culmination right now? It sure feels like it. Um, I can't say 100%, but it sure does feel like we're uh, reaching the time of the end. You know, it feels that way too, and I've had a number of conversations with people who believe the same thing, that so much of what is going on today We've heard about preached for years. I grew up listening to messages about the end times. And, you know, it always seemed like, well, yeah, that's probably going to happen. We believe it's going to happen. It's in the Bible. But it wasn't touching our life that day. But people can no longer say that because they're seeing a lot of things happen in the news every day that speaks to just the very things that pastors have preached about for years. And it's happening yeah. right now. Even signs in the heavens above. I mean, uh, there are people that I know of that are making special trips for this big eclipse that's coming. And a lot of people will assign a lot of concern about just what does that mean in our world today? But uh, mm -hmm. so we know, and, and you know, I know another thing that is being talked about a lot is this thing called the Great Reset. And that's on mm -hmm. a lot of people's minds too, right? Yeah, it is. And the Great Reset can uh, be accomplished uh, a number of ways. First of all, um, the uh, tenants of the New World Order, the tenants of the people who want to usher in the Battle of Armageddon, uh, just as was on the Georgia Guidestones um, that were destroyed two years ago, I think, um, they want to reduce the world's population to 500 million people. Um, they want to, you know, don't want to hurt the planet. Well, the problem with that is, is 94% of humans on the planet right now would have to die in order to achieve 500 million people on the earth. And, you know, it, it's interesting to me that the people who uh, push forward this um, great reset and push forward the idea that we need to uh, get rid of humans on the earth, well, they're not, uh, uh, they're too cowardly to lead by example. Uh, if you want all the humans to disappear, well, you can start with you. Don't worry about me. Um, so, so yes, um, you know, th these powers, uh, when we talk about the end times, uh, Matthew chapter 24, even the small things that that chapter mentions that I never noticed before until I got older, until recent days, Matthew 24 says towards the end, many will be offended. That's just a little thing in that chapter, but it's so relevant to what we see in the news today. Um, so, yeah, the Great Reset. Um, there's there's multiple ways to achieve that. Um, you know, we had the eugenics movement, uh, not just in Nazi Germany, but also in the United States in the early 1900s um, of trying to get rid of people. Planned Parenthood spawned out of that. Um, you know, so other ways is, uh, you know, EMP knocking out the power grid. Um, the, the committee, the United States EMP committee said that 90% uh, of uh, Americans would be dead. Um, within a year if all the power went out. Um, also, we've, we've seen the pandemics. We've seen not just COVID. COVID was the most successful, but all the way back to 2010, we're going swine flu, um, mad cow, all these different diseases. They've been trying to get to catch on to the human race. Right. And they finally did okay with the COVID um, two years ago, uh, but they're going to keep trying. You know, they're, they're creating these, uh, these um, infections that are only only happen naturally in animals, but now they're mutating them to infect humans. Why in the world would any sane government do that on our taxpayer dollars? That is the question that we all have following COVID. I mean, it is without a doubt. I mean, President Trump used to call it the China flu, the China disease. You know, so it, it boggles the mind that anyone would purposefully 
release such a thing as that. And yet there's a lot of evidence that that's what's happened. And here's another thing that's happening, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. We all know and we read about and we see the effects from this open border policy where just literally hundreds of thousands of people are, if not millions, I think it's now numbering maybe even up to eight or 10 million people have come into our country illegally. And there is this is not happening without a plan. This is not happening without some sort of of an idea as to why they're allowing this to happen. But our government, the Biden administration and the government is allowing and protecting this ongoing siege at the border. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And it's called replacement migration, obviously, to uh, get rid of nationalism, get rid of any sense of national identity um, in order to help usher in the one world government. Uh, that the Bible talks about in the end times, you have to get rid of people's national identity, and that's called replacement migration. And it is, of course, you know, the media and you know the people on on the that are bought and paid for the puppets, um, they'll say, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. But it's obvious that replacement migration is happening. That's why Joe Biden uh, just kind of smirks behind the scenes and says, oh, we're we're doing our best and, and Mayorkas. Um, it's replacement migration. They're getting rid of uh, national identity, and it's happening uh, all over the world. So. Uh, the one thing that has stood in the way of secret societies uh, for thousands of years has been the middle class. There's too many of us. And so what they're trying to do is get rid of the middle class. In other words, separate society into the rich elites and the have-nots. Um, and so replacement migration is a uh, one of the primary ways of trying to achieve that, to get rid of the middle class so that they can do what they want. So when you think about a country like America with the the kind of the the breadbasket if you will of our country right the, these flyover states there's so many people not in the blue cities that would would be standing against that that would represent exactly what you're saying the middle class what do you think this goal in this open border how are they going to remove the middle class if that's the goal well um I don't know, uh, removing them as far as destroying the middle class, uh, yes, replacement migration and crashing the economy, which uh, Joe Biden seems to be doing his best uh, to do. Um, He may smirk about it and and may act like, oh, we don't need to let this happen, but it's it's on purpose. Joe Biden is a puppet. So, yes, as far as getting rid of the middle class, not the people themselves, getting rid of the middle class, yes, we need to crash the economy um, so that, again, we can split the world. They can split the world into the elites that have everything and the have-nots, um, the 1% versus the 99%. Um, so, but as far as getting rid of the population, of course, we talked about the uh, uh, depopulation of the earth a little bit earlier. Yeah, right, with, with all of the diseases and everything that's going on. And obviously another move that has uh, happened in Ohio, and there's a potential thing coming to Florida as well, which would be to codify abortion, on the state constitution level, which would make it very, very difficult to ever overturn like Roe v. Wade was overturned. And that mm-hmm. happened in Ohio. And uh, uh, sadly, uh, a great number of people voted for that very thing to happen. And they're going to see the impacts of that very soon. And again, those of us in Florida are also facing a potential of that this coming November. So all of this is coming out. You, you talk about it in your, your book. I understand that there's a spring release date for your book. Is that still the case? Yes, sir. Uh, next month, we're, what, three weeks away from the release of the book. Um, folks can uh, get the new book, Secret Society's Blood Never Sleeps, at marginalmysteries.com, marginalmysteries.com. Also, you're in Orlando. Um, I am flying out today. To go to Hudson, Florida, just above Tampa, uh, for our uh, uh, Prophecy in the News Live conference. Um, and we'll be speaking at Hudson, Hicks Road Baptist Church in Hudson, Florida, for the next uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, I'll be speaking about secret societies and the earth as it was before the flood of Noah. Um, and so we'll be down in Hudson uh, this weekend. If anybody's close, they can come. But otherwise, you can get my book and my previous books at marginalmysteries.com. We also have tons of YouTube videos. We do all kinds of 
these mysterious topics and talk about them from a biblical perspective. From uh, all of these different topics, and you do cover a lot of things like the Illuminati, uh, the Knights Templar Guard, a Skull and Bones, of all of these things, what do you think is one of the more pressing issues that uh, believers need to be aware of that is on the horizon for us that we're going to be facing? Maybe we don't see it clearly right now, but it's coming. What would you think that is? The uh, the one world religion um, that is the neutering of all uh, of Christianity uh, primarily, but any religion um, we are seeing today a push uh, to normalize sin. Let me let me state a fact, and and people need to see this clearly. You if you worship a god who you call Jesus, but he is okay with a particular sin or this sin or that sin or a sin that society says is okay. We're talking about homosexuality primarily. That's what we're seeing today. If you worship a a person called Jesus that accepts that sin, uh, you are worshiping an idol. You can call your idol Jesus all day long. What has been sin from the beginning of the world never changes. God's morals are absolute, and it's imperative that people understand this. Just because society thinks something is uh, popular or we should protect these people, uh, it is still sin. Now, one of the big differences that people don't differentiate between, there is a difference between falling in sin, which we all do, and living in sin. So when the Catholic Church says it's okay to bless same-sex couples, that is not people who have fallen in sin. That's people who are living in sin, unrepentant. So just remember there's a difference between falling in sin, which we all do. We are all sinners, but we don't live in sin. Christ calls us to repent. Oh, that's well said, my friend. And we're all called to be a part of being that witness against all of these things in the face of all of these things that are coming up against uh, the name of the Lord in our culture. And it is becoming a big talk People are mentioning this word, Great Reset, more and more. We're hearing about a a global, a global economy and global currency. I know digital currency, that's something that's mixing in with all this as well, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, of course, the Bible says plenty of places, you know, the, the one world economy, you won't be able to buy food uh, if you don't worship the beast, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, it's absolutely, absolutely coming. And, um, you know, uh, so check out Secret Societies at MarginalMysteries.com and, uh, you know, enjoy reading it. I've enjoyed writing it. Well, it's really going to be great to have that once it comes out again. There's a, a ability to pre-order it, and uh, you can get that spring 2024 release. That's coming up real soon as well. Micah Van Huss, thanks for being with me, and great having you in the great state of Florida. Yes, sir. It's good to talk to you, and thank you. All right, and we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.